Welcome everybody to uh, Monday Night Live. My name's Derek Arden. I'm delighted that uh, you've joined us on YouTube on the Negotiators podcast. If there's any questions, please do send me uh, an email or, uh, or send me a note on, on LinkedIn. Tonight I've got David Skinner with me. David and I worked together in Barclays for a number of years and we became friends and uh, we usually go down a pub um, we expect to be down there for one pint and about an hour, and it usually ends up about uh, two and a half hours talking about coaching, mentoring, and personal development. The one thing David and I had in common when we worked for Barclays, which many other people didn't, was a love of uh, learning and a love of helping people and a love of teaching, and uh, we've carried that on since since we've left. Um, David and I... Um, David's always helped me with my blind spots, which is really interesting, actually. You don't know your own blind spots until somebody helps you. And he does ask rather awkward questions, which I'm sure he will share with us. Yeah, the sort of questions you don't want to be asked, but the sort of questions where you go, hmm, that's a tricky question. Uh, I don't really want to answer that, but it's such a good question that I need to reflect on it and, uh, and think about it. So uh, today's plan is to... Uh, Learn a bit about David. David did some really tricky things in Barclays and, and then get into a mentoring and coaching session where we can all have a little think about how we help other people, how we mentor other people, how we coach other people, which I know everyone that comes on here is passionate about uh, doing. So let me tell you a little bit about David. David's worked in leadership development for over 30 years as a faculty member with the Leadership Trust. And he'll tell us a little bit about the Leadership Trust in a minute. At the same time, he combined this with a very demanding and senior job in Barclays. Tonight, we want to investigate three things, really. Some of the difficult issues that David faced while working in financial services. Uh, number two, the lessons he learned from the coaching and mentoring that he did to help him with his difficult job in financial services. And thirdly, something that he and I discuss every time we go down the pub, the difference between coaching and mentoring. It's clear cut to some people, but I go into coaching and then I switch into mentoring when we get short of time, if we looked at it officially. So we're gonna uh, talk about that. And during the, uh, during the session, we'll have the opportunity to ask a few questions and think about things ourselves. So David, welcome. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Tell us about what does your work with the Leadership Trust involve? Right. Well, I've been doing that, as you said, for over, over 30 years. Um, Leadership Trust, uh, many of you might not know exactly what it is. It's an organisation in the west of, west of England that's near, near um, Gloucester, uh, that has its roots uh, born out of the SAS, which, um, and it tried to apply some of the SAS principles to um, uh, leadership development in industry. Um, uh, the linkage is pretty tenuous now, um, but the material is still pretty, very similar to that which it started out at. Um, and so it's, it does a lot of, lots of things, but its principal course that it runs is a six day intensive course, uh, residential um, called uh, Leadership and Management, where we take a group, groups of up to about 40 people, uh, split into groups of about 10 each. And they go through a fairly intensive um, program of project work uh, with reflection uh, thereafter. And uh, we give them a few models to work with, but the intention is to help them understand 
their own approach to leadership, uh, um, their, what they're all about to understand how they perform under stress uh, when they're given that difficult leadership task and they've got a team uh, that doesn't know what they're doing and it's all falling around apart, around, apart around them. Um, and my role as one of the course team would be to sit with one of the groups of 10 intensively throughout the course and really help them through their learning journey. I've, I've used the J word, um, but help them to uh, make the most out of their time, uh, which is about listening intensively, asking questions, getting them to reflect on what's happened uh, and to the degree they're comfortable opening up difficult issues that they might not open up with in work. Uh, and it gets very, very intense uh, uh, to, to the extent that some people have some quite cathartic experiences um, uh, because they really do have to learn to give and receive feedback constructively. Uh, they get put into some situations which they find very, very difficult, not, not physically difficult, uh, psychologically difficult perhaps, uh, and they, they learn how they react and deal with that. Um, so it's, it's very, very rewarding. And every time I, I do go, go through a course, I learn a little bit more about myself and, and, and other people. Um, and as I say, I feel privileged to be able to do it and uh, continue to do so. I was pretty amazed that uh, when you worked in investment banking, which is a pretty ruthless business, that's probably to uh, understate it, that you still managed to get a week or two off without getting fired um, in those sort of 14 years uh, of investment banking that, uh, that you were in. But uh, how did you manage to hold the job down in investment banking? What was your secrets? Because some people only last uh, two or three years. Two questions for you there, all in one. Right. Um, the, the second one's probably the easy one. I don't really know the answer to the first one. Uh, I, I kept doing it and nobody told me not to. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I was lucky enough to, if, if push came to shove, I'd take holiday for it. Uh, but I never got into that state. And to be fair, I thought it was a, a, good, a good deal for the business as well as for me, because I, I think the business gained out of it too. So I felt it was consistent with my values to do, to do that. Um, how did how do you survive in, in investment banking? Well, yes, it does have a reputation of being fairly brutal, uh, and people don't last very long there. Um, it's some of that is born out of the media. I mean, there are a lot of people who do have a long career, um, and I don't think you can survive in any business unless a you're good at it, and b uh, you are aligned with the purpose and values of that organisation, or sufficiently aligned. Uh, that you can work within that organisation. So um, I think you take both of those as given. Um, but some people might say I wasn't the classic profile of your standard investment banker. Um, there's a, there, there are a range of people across everywhere. Um, I was probably a little bit more collegiate than many. Um, and I think the important thing is to know your strengths and be confident in those and play to those. So. Uh, there are always going to be times where your resilience is pushed to its limit, uh, where people are wanting you to do things or putting it under pressure to do things that you uh, don't feel comfortable with or in a way that you don't feel comfortable with. Uh, and you have to step back and focus on what you're good at and make sure that that aligns with the company. Sure, um, sure. So for me, I, I was reasonably bright. So I made sure that I really understood 
the detail well and I, I, I understood the te technical things well and I had very, very strong customer relationships. So uh, whatever people may think of you, uh, you're delivering the right outcomes for the firm because you're doing deals with great relationships and you don't lose many. Talking about a couple of those things, I know you used to get the 605 train from Woking in the mornings, but you always tried to get home to uh, see your kids when they were growing up, which is pretty miraculous in uh, in investment banking. But I remember you told me once that you flew to Australia <laughs> for a two-hour meeting and a two-hour negotiation and flew straight back. Now, I thought that was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> what, was, what was that all about? Well, it sounds a bit strange. Uh, but if you think back into the context where at that time there weren't, there was video conferencing, but it wasn't particularly good. And it certainly wasn't generally accepted as a, the way of doing business. Um, so if you've got a transaction where the firm could earn fees of three, four, five million dollars, the price of a flight to Australia and back is relatively low. Um, and I mean, I think one of the survival mechanisms you have in an organization such as that, which is pretty unforgiving if you don't if you don't win a deal, is a bit like the red team thinking. You do your pre-mortem. Uh, so you sit there and think before the transaction, if we don't win this, what could we possibly have done different? And let's do that now. So whether it's putting a phone call into the chief executive of business or whatever. And in this case, there was an Australian company. And one of the things we said was, well, why wouldn't we send somebody across to that, to that pitch um, and show the client that they're important? If we lose a deal and we didn't do that, will we be kicking ourselves? Uh, will we think that, that, that the easy decision is not to go because it's a pain in the neck to travel that far quickly uh, for a short meeting? Um, uh, but that, that, it made commercial sense to do that. Um, now, I, when I went to Australia, it took me about five days to recover and you flew straight back. I just couldn't get my head around how you knew where you were or what was going on. But uh, you're obviously fitter and stronger than me. <laughs> well, if you don't stay long enough, you don't have jet lag when you come back. Is that true? Is that really true? Yeah. Yeah. So you fly in at seven, I'll be meeting at 10, uh, have lunch get the next plane back there was, a, there was a plane missing yeah. that just for everybody you know it takes about 23 hours to fly to australia with a stop in singapore and you can't fly straight to sydney uh, even now can you on one of those uh, a380s i don't believe so no you can't i can tell you that now we better now turn to uh coaching and mentoring now you and i have had a lot of debates about the difference between coaching and mentoring and we tend not to agree although you have brought me round to your way of thinking. Often I work with people for half an hour. I ask them all the open coaching questions and then we got 10 minutes left. So I start giving them solutions and uh, you don't get, you're not too keen on that, are you? But uh, talk us through the uh, differences between coaching and mentoring as you see it. Yeah, well, well, the first thing is the words don't really matter. They're, they're just labels. So as so long as what you're doing is what the, the person you're talking with uh, wants, and it's well understood, it doesn't matter what you call it. But when you describe coaching to me, it's more what I would think of as mentoring. But that doesn't mean it's any better or worse as a result of it. They're just different, different perspectives. Um, so most of you will, will, will be aware that mentoring, the source of the term mentoring comes from Odysseus, who uh, 
asked his friend and mentor to take over his son's education and to teach him everything he knew. Um, and that's, that really sort of sums up what mentoring is about. It's just about passing on your knowledge and experience and wisdom to someone else. Um, uh, and so when you're telling people what you would do or giving them your ideas, you're mentoring them uh, in that context. Um, whereas for me, coaching is about creating a safe space for somebody to explore their own issues and ideas themselves. Um, for, I know Tim has mentioned Viktor Frankl's book, The Man's Search for Meaning, a few times. And Viktor Frankl talks, in, talks about his um, form of therapy, which he called logotherapy. And in that, he says um, a therapist can either be uh, like a painter or like an eye specialist. A painter seeks to help somebody see the world the way the painter sees it, whereas an eye specialist seeks to help uh, someone see things clearly with their own eyes. And to me, that's sort of is a little bit of a metaphor for, for mentoring versus coaching. In mentoring, you're seeing the world through, through your values, your motivations, your experience, and showing it to somebody else. In coaching, you're helping somebody use their experiences to come to whatever answers are relevant for them. Um, you might ask why that matters. Does, uh, is one, one more effective than the other? And to me, I think it does matter because if your objective is for somebody to change their behavior, to be more effective in some way, that is going to be much more effective if, if they've come up with their idea in their own words and in their own way. Um, your experience isn't their experience. Your motivations aren't theirs. So even if you think it's they're talking about the same idea you would have had, it's not going to result in behavior change nearly as effectively. If, if you tell them to tell tell them and you'll have had men, you've talked to me about mentoring situations where you said the same thing to people in, in multiple meetings and that, that sort of makes the point and then the sort of neurochemical basis the the neurochemistry in the brain that forms new neural connections is much stronger if you're you are repeating and doing the uh, the, the, the the required things for the new network uh, yourself. Uh, and if it's linked with your motivational drivers, all the, the neurochemistry will be aligned to create new and better networks. And that's not there when you're mentoring people in the same way. Um, no, it's so very interesting. And that comes back to the question that I've always asked people when I'm working with them. And you um, pointed out to me on Friday when we were having a coffee <laughs> in a rehearsal, that probably wasn't the best question, which... Um, shock me but you, you know me I'm always learning and I always want to learn and I tend to start um, a question with once we get into it how can I help you what did you see wrong with that well there isn't a right and wrong but it wouldn't be what I would ask um, because it's emphasizing you uh, and a coaching session is all about the coachee the other person um, it's their world their time uh, and it's all about them so you want them to see that you have uh, attention only for them uh, and empathy only with them. So uh, what you can do for them is less relevant as to what's going on with them. So I'd be, be spending time, depending on the context, understanding what they're, what's going on with them at the time. So how are things going might be a relatively uh, simplistic start point, but it could be what brings you here today. Um, 
Uh, yeah, and I'm uh, talking about my blind spots, which you are good at pointing out, annoyingly so, but then sometimes <laughs> that needs to happen. Um, I get a bit frustrated and want to move things on quite quickly, don't I? That's me. And that's why <laughs> I say, you know, how can I help you? Let's, you know, which is a kind of let's get on with this, uh, which uh, doesn't quite work. I know. I get people it. Need, people need to take time, take whatever time they need to do their own thinking. Yeah. Uh, and that's not your time. And I must admit, when I've been coached by somebody who's good at it, the experience is really quite liberating because suddenly you're released from all the disciplines of a normal conversation. So when we're in the pub, if I spent all my time talking about what I was interested in thinking about, you'd get a bit bored and you wouldn't want to come out again. And I'd probably be have a little bit of my radar going, I'm talking too much, I shouldn't be doing this. It's all about me. Whereas when you're in a coaching situation, all those barriers fall away. It's only about you. You've got freedom to explore your thinking and, and your issues in, in whatever way is sensible. And the good coach will listen and very occasionally ask some questions to clarify or, or get you to think or explore different things. Um, and because they have only you as their focus, you don't worry that there's another agenda, that you don't worry they're going to tell their boss uh, what you said or their team what you've said. And that frees up your creative thinking and you, you can really focus on and solve issues in a way that you don't otherwise. Yeah, but that brings us back to an important point we haven't discussed about trust and rapport, isn't it? I mean, trust and rapport is really important here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's got to be a given of a coaching relationship um, and you can't take it for granted. Um, so, I mean, everyone has their different ways of dealing with it. But I, I think you have to be authentic to yourself. Now, that word gets used an awful lot. Um, but you have to be... Um, People have to believe that the person they're talking to is real. It's, they aren't a coach who has a status relationship with you or a mentor who has superior knowledge to you. Uh, they're just a real person. And that gives them permission to be real and authentic as well. Um, so that might mean revealing a little bit about yourself that might be you might not normally do so. Um, and you also need to make sure that they're, you, they are your sole focus of attention. So anybody who does a coaching session and their phone goes off needs to be shot. <laughs> um, but uh, make sure that the environment is consistent with that. Um, and there needs to be a sense to what you say and underlying consistency to what you say and do um, so that they begin to see that you are enough like them, that they can trust you. You, you, you share the same values There's a, a congruence. Um, Carl Rogers talks of unconditional uh, personal regard, un unconditional positive regard, uh, and that has to be at the core of the whole thing, um, and that begins to build trust. Um, we haven't got time to talk about it now, but we have talked about it on the um, Monday Night Live uh, quite often about listening skills, and uh, you sent me a two-page paper that you wrote uh, from Nancy Klein's work, I think it was, about yes. listening, which was a bit different. Would you be prepared to share that with anybody yes, of course. who wanted yeah. to look at it? Yeah. And David's, a, David's an avid reader, and he, he writes these book summaries, and he sent me a book summary from uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. And he said, you'll never read this, Derek, because it was about 14 pages. Now, I call a summary one page like uh, Winston Churchill uh, used to insist on. And, uh, but David's summary is about 14 pages. But that's, uh, 
that's another story. But uh, I'm sure David would share uh, any of these uh, papers that he's uh, written with you on a confidential basis, uh, if you if you would like it. Yeah. Guys, what we're going to do now very quickly. Yeah, sorry. What we're going to do now very quickly is uh, to put you in breakout groups because there's so much knowledge from the 20 people we have on this that uh, I'd like to pull out one or two of those things. So I put a little question on the flip chart here. And the question is, and I hope you can see that, but I'll, um, if you can't, I'll um, read it out anyway. What's the most rewarding outcome from a coaching and mentoring session that you've done as the coach and why was it? So what's the most rewarding outcome from coaching and mentoring as the coach? And anybody that thinks they're not a coach, think again, because you'll be helping uh, children, grandchildren, people that you work with, somebody you meet in the street, you might uh, actually give them, uh, ask them a good question. And I put coaching or mentoring, hence uh, David and I's slight disagreement and uh, discussions that we've been having for many years and we will continue to do it. So I'm gonna put you into breakout groups for seven minutes. They're assigned automatically as usual. Press the button, click on it, meet someone you haven't met before and uh, have a chat and then we'll come back in and uh, have a chat about it and share as much information with everybody as possible. I'll uh, see you in seven minutes. Okay, well, we just had the breakout groups on the coaching and mentoring session with uh, David Skinner. We've got uh, over 20 coaches and mentors uh, here. So I'm very interested to hear all the views. So uh, which group would uh, like to go first? Let's uh, pick on uh, group one, which uh, Nancy Lopes-Taylor's in. Nancy, what, did, uh, what came out of it from uh, your group? Well, what we discussed was the fact that when you see somebody making progress where they felt they were stuck and they start to make progress, uh, how satisfying that can be. And you hear about the progress in the sessions and the conversations you have later. Um, one of the people in our group was talking about when you see their eyes light up when you're in a meeting and they, they're actually now doing some of what you had talked about before and how gratifying that is. And also sometimes you don't know if, if what you've done actually is the reason that the performance has improved. I know we were, I was involved in a project with a, a major bank and their uh, sales department and we were helping them uh, with a particular team and that team over the course of the year increased sales by 11%. And so was that down to our sales leadership development with them and the coaching of the sales leaders or was it down to just the fact that people were working harder? Who knows? But we like to think it was part of our efforts, but that's the intangible of coaching is measuring what have you really made the difference? Whereas in sport, for example, people can measure, you know, if they're swimming faster, running faster, whatever, uh, and, and they can see sometimes um, that, uh, you know, there's that performance has improved and you can say, oh, well, that's, I've been working with this coach and they're brilliant. But in business, sometimes it's there's too many other variables. Anyway, back to you, Derek. Thanks, Nancy. Yeah, we didn't talk about sports coaching, which I'm not sure is is the sort of coaching that uh, 
David talks about. That's something else we uh, talk about quite a lot uh, in the pub. Lots more, lots more to talk about. Let's. Uh, I think it should be. Yeah, I think it should be as well. But it's obviously skills coaching sometimes, isn't it? Which is probably used out of uh, out of context. Should we go to room? Let's go to room two now. Uh, John Lisby, what came out from yours? John's muted. Or is he from ours is I had nominated Mary oh. to speak for us, but uh, I felt a bit cruel doing that. But I'll I'll have one minute and then I'll uh, ask you to. Well, Mary's smiling and giving us good body language, so that's yeah. that's good, John. So pass it. Well, on. we had a we had a discussion about um, uh, coaching and mentoring, and um, if it is struggling to. Um, to differentiate or get them the right way around. I really enjoyed the uh, the painter and I specialist comparison. I think that that became really easy. Uh, most of us felt that we found it really rewarding when you hardly said anything during the session to the client. And then at the end of the session, the client thanks you for one of the best, the best sessions he's ever experienced. And I've personally found that's happened a lot. I just grunt um, every now and again, and then the client um, pays the fee, and I, th I think it's <laughs> really, really rewarding. I think we're going to switch to Mary. I think that's fraud. I think so. I think yeah, fraud. okay. Over to you, Mary. <laughs> Mary. Right. Um, but it's true. Uh, you don't need to say, say a great deal in a coaching session. It's, it's about the questions sometimes. Um, and it's about space to think. That was part of the experience that people had. And that you tend to do more mentoring when people join an organisation and they're new to it, uh, rather than the coaching side. Um, but it is about the questions that you ask. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Mary. Um, what about switching to Texas now, to uh, Texas Tim Durkin? Well, what, what Nigel and I decided is that John is going to be the spokesperson for our group. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Uh, thanks for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, we actually, I mean, I'm, I'm going to answer now without, without tackling anything we talked about in the group, because it touches on something that the people have said already, which is the best coaching sessions I've ever had have been the ones where you say even less. To the, to the extent where albeit experimentally once, I was doing some coaching where I didn't even listen to their answers. They didn't speak. They just thought it through in the head. So I didn't even know what they were saying. And they, they said to me that was the most powerful coaching session they'd ever had. So there's definitely something there because I couldn't ask questions very specifically. Anything, you know, I was, I, I was able to say far less because they were giving me less information. Um, but what completely threw us is um, that Nigel asked me this question about introverts and how introverts, and I can't remember exactly how Nigel worded it, so jump in, Nigel, but it was basically, do you think introverts benefit from more from coaching because of the unencumbered space to speak? And I never, ever even considered that in my entire, entire career. And it's like, my conclusion was, everybody benefits from having an unencumbered space to speak and to structure their thoughts because we don't get enough of it in this world but perhaps introverts get more benefit because they get even less chance to speak mm, david what do you think about that i think i agree with john actually that um uh 
you could easily see that why somebody who's introverted and struggles to gain gain airtime benefits from a, 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 a clear space to speak and think. Uh, but I think it would be very judgmental to assume that an extrovert couldn't benefit from that as well. Um, you just need to set it up so that they, they understand what's going on. It's interesting how much introverts and extroverts are coming into a lot of discussions at the moment. I'm fascinated by the whole subject, John's opened my eyes to it. And uh, so is Janice and one or two other people, absolutely. And just congratulations to John Baker, who's got a mega session at the uh, Professional Speaking Convention on Friday and Saturday. I don't know what it is. I might be missing John, but... Uh, uh, uh well good you'll luck have to, you'll have to either attend or invite me here again <laughs> or um you'll have to buy me a beer in swanage that's the we, could, we could do that one instead oh, yeah that's all right then that's uh, that's brilliant um let's uh, let's see where we have what about room five godfrey christine and lynn who's the spokesman there or spokesperson sorry i'll be in trouble <laughs> i was outnumbered so it's me <laughs> oh delegation. Um, we uh I think we're picking up on some common themes through, throughout this feedback session, but um, the word empowerment cropped up um, in various scenarios. And I think the question, going back to the question is, where did you feel you got the best sense of achievement as a coach? I think it was, it was that sort of question. And I think we were all agreed. It, it's when the penny dropped and, um, However you'd got there, the, um, the client or the customer or the member of staff uh, saw the light and suddenly started to do things better. And whether you had an influence over that, um, one can debate forever. But if you saw that person growing and doing what you hoped they would do, then that's what gave you as the individual the, um, the best satisfaction. We gave examples, but I think that was the, the theme. So Lynn and Christine, tell me if there's anything uh, specific you want me to say, but I think those were the uh, key messages coming out of it. I think you summed it up pretty well, actually. Yeah. As you talk, I'm wondering when you're saying do it when the client ends up doing what you hope they would do. Is that not... It makes me feel that there's a level of judgment there as that... The success, yeah, I get measured I by uh, the coach's view. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, David. I think it was more from the point of fact that they had been empowered, or they'd seen the light, and they were therefore feeling better about themselves. However, they got there, so we were taking pleasure in their success. Got you, right? But that, the, I didn't they, explain it enough, but it, it was it was their achievement their improvement that, that gave them the satisfaction in turn that made us feel better yes it was in terms of um uh, their um comprehension of the subject and their enthusiasm to take it forward yeah yeah i see that interesting i hadn't thought about the customer actually i'm i've just written down customer we never talked about coaching our customers to uh, buy our products i like that idea um Gabby, you've got a question. You've got, a hat, you've got your hand up. I was going to say, the thing that I find fascinating is when you can coach someone in an area that you have no knowledge of to help them to move forward. So as far as um, judgment is concerned, there isn't any because you don't understand their business necessarily. 
And that for me is probably where I get the, the biggest buzz is that you can go into a business that you really don't understand. Um, and they use words that I don't understand. And, and I throw the words in context and just ask the questions and just to see, to, to, to see them overcome the challenges that they have is, is um, wonderful. Even if you don't know what, you don't really understand and fully comprehend what's going on for them. Fantastic. We've got one group left and we've got Janice, Grace and Paul. I don't know who the spokesman there. We can either go to San Francisco or we can go to the Turks and Caicos Islands or Yorkshire. I'll leave that to you guys. I think Grace is the official coach of the group and she was the one that had the deepest knowledge. So I think Grace should speak. OK, well, let's see if Grace unmutes and uh, opens up her um, video. Otherwise, it looks like it's you, Janice. She's unmuted. So that's uh, that's good. Are you there, Grace? I am. And I have unmuted. And apologies, my Wi-Fi is just so unreliable. So I will do my best. And Janice, thanks for volunteering me. <laughs> so we did talk about coaching and mentoring. And we talked briefly about the difference between the two. But our consensus was pretty much in line with what others have said. It was about seeing mentees, coaches actually achieving their goal and taking some pride in helping facilitate them in doing that, be it at the right moment, taking the time to listen and allow others to speak or asking that prompt question that caused them to rethink or ponder something in a different perspective they hadn't done previously. Janice, Paul, would you, anything you want to add there? Yes, and the, <clears throat> the thing that I also found interesting that Grace said for her, the definition of a coaching relationship is a six or eight session relationship period. And there's gotta be an ending. So she, that's the way she chooses to coach. There's an ending at the six to eight weeks. And what I also found interesting that Grace said compared to what some of the others said is that she's not setting their goals. They're setting their goals. She's just helping them get there. She's helping them see what's inside themselves, which I found very powerful because sometimes you ask someone for advice and really all you want to do is be heard and, and, and explain your thought process. And then you come up with your own solutions. And to me, that's the, a really powerful coaching relationship. Thanks, Janice. There is one group left. That's uh, Gregor's group. Um, um, I think it was just Gregor and Nick that were in that group. Have you got anything to uh, to add? Yes. Yeah, so uh, can you hear me now? Is my microphone now okay? It's okay. I'll let you know if it's not. It's a bit marginal, okay. but go okay. for it. Uh, so nothing else what you basically already spoke about. So to see how the people are growing and especially let's say if somebody is coming back after a week or two when you talk with him and saw then that he achieved the goal and then he come back and say or she come back and say look we achieved that that worked what we talk about so that was that's the biggest joy so nick would you like to add something nick's on mute nick's on mute you're on mute nick but you're trying yeah, to yeah that's good i can now talk Sorry, I had 18 months to this talking to myself on mute. I should know it by now. Um, yes, I mean, again, pretty much. I've not really got anything to add. Uh, 
that Gregor has commented and that everybody else has said. I think it's just watching people develop and come up with their own solutions and seeing how, seeing how they've uh, developed. I think for me, the most rewarding part is seeing somebody develop and use skills that didn't necessarily know they had um, to enable them to better themselves. Fantastic, that's great. There's a few questions in the uh, chat box. Um, but um, which we can fire at David before we close. David, one thing that was um, going through my mind while we were talking was, what if you need to coach someone, but they don't want to be coached? Well, I had a phone going, so I've got rid of that. Always happens, doesn't it? It always happens. Um, well, sorry, what was the question? The question was, what about when you need to coach someone and uh, they uh, don't want to be coached? By the way, when someone's phone goes off and I'm running a negotiation session, I say, just give me the phone. It's obviously a client that needs negotiation. I'll take over. That it was number withheld, so it's probably a spam call. <laughs> yeah. um, somebody who needs coaching, that's an interesting concept, but doesn't want to be coached. Um, well, I mean, I think the whole basis of a coaching relationship is one of two willing and equal partners. Um, and so if someone doesn't want to be there, then you've not got a coaching relationship. So the, the question I'd be asking of you is, what's going on that makes you say they need coaching? And what's the issue underlying that? Their CEO has hired you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Janice, I like that. And they're paying you a lot of money. Well, I guess in that case, you've got to be honest. Um, if somebody's sitting there and uh, doesn't want to be there, then it may well be that there are underlying issues which over time will come out. And that is very often the case. But if they genuinely don't want to be there, and I've, I've, I've had um, one instance where somebody was there because he'd been told to go there by his boss to be, be coached. And he just had, he, he was told he needed to be better at networking uh, and he didn't believe it and he wasn't interested. Um, and so you can have the conversation where about the fact that it, it appears he isn't coming across as particularly interested in this objective. What is his objective out of it? Um, but he, the, the objectives of a, co a coaching relationship have to be the coachees. And that's what you're coaching. And so you've got willing, a willing participant. Sure. OK, let's go to one or two of the questions. You might need help with this one, David, from one of the ladies or several of the ladies. <laughs> Do you think men and women should be coached differently? Well, I'm intrigued by the question to start with as to quite what's going on behind that. Um, I don't know if you want to say a little bit more, Tim. Yeah. Um, number one, I, I am coaching a, a female CEO and a male CEO, and uh, I have to take a different tack because they have a different style. But I really go back to Deborah Tannen, um, whose work is uh, really good, men and women in communication. Men have a tendency to solve problems instantly when we hear them. We have a bias to action. Women can solve problems equally well to men, I believe, but they tend to talk about it first. So when you're dealing with a female executive, I find listening to be of utmost importance. Not that it's unimportant with men, but um, men have, as I mentioned, I, I guess I sum it up, men have a bias to action, women have a bias to talking, which allows them to process 
the solution themselves. You just have to get them talking. And I'd be very interested in Gabby, Janice, um, Grace's perspective on that as well. Yeah, we better go to Gabby and with my male hat on, let's get on with this quick, can we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think there is there is something about coaching each individual as an individual. Um, I, I never see the male or the female or the color or the religion. It is, it is the human being in front of you and you work out what their filters are, how they best um, process information and you ask the questions and give them the space to be able to, to make the progress in their best way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anybody else the, want to come in there? There's an athletic um, story that if a if a male coach is coaching a male team, he will say, Derek, you didn't mark your man correctly. And Derek knows it's him. But if he's coaching a female coach, the, um, the, the coach would be wise to say, somebody is not marking their person correctly. And virtually everybody says, oh, that must be me, <laughs> all right? Um, and I get that from the most successful women's soccer coach, apparently um, ever men's, US women's uh, soccer team. Wow, that's, that's uh, yeah, that really is interesting, isn't it? Team coaching is a different dynamic again. There you go, good point. And I think we have a, a huge risk of categorizing people according to our preconceptions as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you just described me when you described the female <laughs> um, mm -hmm. in terms of my preferred style for a lot of lot of things. And so there will be people with different preferred styles and there may be may or may not be preponderance for one sex to be more like another, but I'm not sure it's relevant. Uh, taking what what Gabby was saying. Yep. Um, and perhaps an interesting thing to explore as you as you as, as I'm talking would be. Well, I, I do recommend uh, Deborah Tannen to everyone. Uh, T a n n e n. Um, she spent her whole career. She's a professor at Georgetown University, and she spent her whole career. And I got tremendous insights from her. Um, I used to have to teach Ernst and Young partners how to deal with the women in the firm that they wanted to promote to partners. And uh, most of them were not doing it according to what Deborah Tannen did. We talked about that, they changed and um, EY leads the world in female partners. Interesting, yeah. Well, the, the book I read, of course, was uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus by uh, Alan. By John Gray. That was much more down to earth and uh, less <laughs> academic. John Baker, I was wondering what your view might be on this as you do a lot of coaching at say, universities and things. Um, I might have missed the question. Was this still on the female part? Yeah, the, the yeah, just your... I, I mean, I, I, can, I can sit there and see different reactions, but I'm kind of with a bit that says rather than stereotyping, I'd treat each person as an individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems to, uh, yeah, it makes sense. Anybody else want to chip, or, chip in on that one before we move on? The interesting point to explore is it would be how the different individuals perceive the impact of their default behaviours. Um, so if you do have males who are, have a set of default behaviours that you perceive, uh, they will be more or less effective under different circumstances of different people, maybe male, female, or maybe not. 
and are they aware of that? Sure, sure. Um, John Lisby asked you, David, to uh, comment on the SAS aspects of the Leadership Trust and then says, don't they simply identify and destroy the enemy? <laughs> um, I suppose the core out of that is that leadership is about using your personal power um, to win hearts and minds of others to achieve a common purpose, um, which uh, seem to be at the core of the, the SAS perspectives, which is different to other, other aspects of military as they, they've described it to me. Um, uh, and so it is very much about knowing and controlling yourself as part of your ability to know and lead others. Um, and so you have, that's what enables very small groups to operate with independently in hostile situations and to be resilient. Um, and to do that, you need to be uh, very open, uh, both emotionally as well as intellectually. Um, and so uh, there's an awful lot about speaking up uh, saying how you feel about things rather than how things are going. Um, so I can say to you, Derek, I think you're intelligent. You might get a warm feeling, but that could mean 10 different things. I might That might mean it makes me feel intimidated, competitive, admiring, and that's where the real meaning in communication comes through. So yeah. no, I guess a little, a little um, vignette. Okay, and there's a couple of questions from IFIT as well that I'd like to... Uh, raise i mean it's, it's, i think it's a link a bit to introverts but what works to get people who don't like to open up to share i think that's aimed at you david okay um well you can't make it happen overnight um so you it's around building that relationship of trust as i'm sure you all know um uh one one aspect which i think sometimes people don't spend enough time on into in the country in coaching terms is the contracting um, and uh, that can set an environment where at least you've got some common objectives and common understandings of how you're behaving and how how the sessions are going to run um, and that can be quite powerful in terms of setting the scene that it is a safe psychological space um, but people just need time to believe. So you're not, going to, not necessarily going to get somebody to open up in, in the first coaching session you have. Okay, my, my instant response. Well, we're nearly out of time. Just one more question for you, David, before I close the uh, meeting. If, uh, if you'd like to stay on, that would be, that would be great. If yeah. anyone's got Thanks. any questions, send them through, uh, email them to me uh, or uh, send them on LinkedIn. But the question is, what's your tip, what's your number one tip top tip for uh, for coaching what's that number one i think i'll turn that into three because you've told me about the rule of three before derek um and the three that come to mind just off the top of my mind are the need to create a safe space and don't take that for granted and it's safe in the perspective of the person you're talking to and that's not only about you it's about the room it's about the relationship it's about the situation and think widely and actively about that rather than take it for granted. Um, second is it's not about you, your ideas, your thinking, your experience. It's not about listening to them until you've got a good idea and then telling them what, what you think. Um, it's about um, being in it for them, your empathy being completely directed towards them and their objectives. Um, and second, third is just listen intensively. And I don't think you can be reminded enough to keep doing that. 
which is what some of the Nancy Klein stuff is all about. Um, don't interrupt. There's no good reason to interrupt. Um, all you're doing is sending a message that they're not important or that you're more important than them. So uh, listen and listen and listen. And when you don't think you've done enough, do a bit more. And of course, that's the most difficult thing of the whole lot, isn't it? To uh, keep quiet, don't open your mouth, whether you're negotiating, selling or whatever. In fact, lots of people uh, uh, lose sales because they say something when the uh, client's just about to, uh, to agree. So... Uh, David, thanks so much. Uh, I know people can get in touch with you on your uh, LinkedIn account, David Skinner. Uh, thanks to everybody for your input. Uh, thanks for all of you for watching on YouTube or listening to this on the Negotiators podcast. Please join us live on any Monday night. And uh, can you thank David Skinner in the usual uh, Monday night chat show way? Thanks very much indeed, thank David. Thank you.